You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Good, thanks. Uh, Kirkwood and Barry, it's good to be home. I hope you've got a copy of God's Word with you tonight because uh, you need to have it when you come to church. Let me show you a picture. I love Norman Rockwell. Uh, all my life, wanted to own a Norman Rockwell and uh, never will because I don't have Kirkwood's money. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you, you see that right there. Nobody could capture, um, nobody could capture Americana like Norman Rockwell. I think when I was in high school, I must have been the only high school student that had a subscription to Saturday Evening Post. Um, and I would get it, and uh, I would go through it cover to cover, and a lot of times they would have uh, Rockwells in it like that. Now, you say, well, why are you showing us that? Because that's the 25th chapter of Genesis. There is Jacob right there, and the guy tackling him is Esau. So that's what you're coming to, Jacob and Esau. Um, Two brothers who love to fight, and um, that's what they do. That's what's going to happen. This is an interesting chapter. I've shared that with you. This is the third time we're coming back to this chapter, and uh, almost could come back to it a fourth time. Uh, you come to it the first time we looked at Abraham's death. Uh, Sarah gets a whole chapter on her death, and Abraham gets uh, some verses, it's kind of interesting. Ishmael comes back. Isaac is there. They come back and they bury their father. Uh, and then three weeks ago, I shared with you out of this chapter, really the beginning of Islam. Where does Islam begin? Uh, where does uh, that whole religion start? You've got to go all the way back to Ishmael because there in Ishmael, you really have the foundation, uh, the beginning of Islam. Uh, although Muhammad does not live and the Quran is not written until 600 uh, A.D., the, the foundation and the roots go all the way back. So now tonight, it's interesting. We looked at the 12 sons of Ishmael. Tonight, you're going to come and look at his half-brother, Isaac, who only has two boys. He has twins. First time you come across twins in uh, Scripture. And uh, you begin in verse 19 with this last section of this chapter with the generations of Isaac. Now, these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Um. And let me just stop right there. Because when you look at this, what you think you're going to see, well, you're going to see these two boys, these, two, these twins. Uh, here they come. They, they're in the same womb. They come from the same gene pool. And they could not be any different than any two kids that you could just randomly pick anywhere. They are so completely different, so totally opposite. They have the same parents, grow up in the same environment. They have the same opportunities. 
And uh, what you have is you're going to have one boy who essentially turns his back on God. Well, not essentially. He turns his back on God. And the other is going to be the boy through whom the promise that was made to Abraham uh, that was given back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, through this boy is going to come uh, the fulfillment of God's promise, is going to come the Messiah. So um, it's pretty fascinating that something is going on here that's a little deeper than what is just on the surface. So I want you to put your finger right there in Genesis chapter 25, and I want you to go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and I want to show you one verse, maybe two, maybe three. Chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul writes, let me, let me pick it up in verse 16 because that's where the parochope begins. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, this is the verse I really want you to latch on to. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Now, you've got a battle going on here. You see that? That's what he's talking about. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That ever happened in your life? For these are in opposition to one another. What do you think Paul's got in the back of his mind? Well, I'll tell you what I think he's got in the back of his mind. In the back of his mind, I think he's got Genesis 25. And he's got two brothers who start warring inside the womb. Well, just hang on. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. You can read on through that, but you pick up what he's doing. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Then he goes through the fruit of the Spirit. Now those who are belonging to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. But, go back to verse 17, the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Now go back to this chapter, chapter 25, because you have got this battle now that is raging inside of you, inside of me, there is a spiritual struggle that is going on. Well, the same thing is happening beginning in verse 19 to the end of chapter 25. You are going to see the battle between the flesh and the battle between the spirit. That's what's taking place when you come to these two boys that are going to be born here. So let me give you the first point that I want you to see, and it's this, the struggle over our spiritual birth and spiritual fruit. There's this, there's this struggle that is here over the new birth, over spiritual birth, and over spiritual fruit. So I'll go back to verse 19. These are the records of the generations of Isaac. Verse 20, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah. Now, he's 40 years old when he gets married. But now think about the life of Isaac. Isaac was a miracle, was he not? Uh, his mother was 89, and his father was 99 when he was conceived. That's pretty big news right there. 
She's 90 and he's 100 when he's born. Now, how often does that happen? It's the only time I know that it's ever happened. And it happens because it was a miracle of God. Isaac is a picture of the miracle of the new birth. That's what he's a picture of. That's what this is setting up to show you. This kid's birth is miraculous. Your spiritual birth is a miracle of God. Now, watch Rebecca. Who was Rebecca? The daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean. Now, who are the Arameans? They're a bunch of Canaanites, what they are. They're a bunch of pagans, a Padanaram, the sister of Laban. Now, listen, we're going to get to Laban because now I'm going to look at Jacob's life and um, you're going to get to Laban, and Laban is he's the last of the red-hot um, con men. Uh, you, you, you think Jacob, we're going to look at Jacob. You think Jacob's a con man. He's going to meet his match when he comes up on his father-in-law, Laban. Laban the Aramean to be his wife. Now, here she is. She comes from a bunch of idol worshipers. What's she a picture of? The flesh. She's a picture of the flesh. She's a picture of the world. She's a picture of uh, our life in sin, and yet she's going to marry Isaac, the son of promise. Now, let me recount to you how that's going to take place. Abraham, the master, Abraham, the father, calls in his servant, And he sends his servant to go and find a bride for his son. The father sends the spirit to find a bride for his son. He goes. And you remember, she has answered now. When he gets there, he prays, God, this is what I want. I want the first you know, gal to come up and offer me water and then offer to water all of these camels that I've got, which is a chore to do. And what does Rebecca do? She walks up, she offers him water, and she says, hey, I'll water these camels for you as well. So he now knows I found the woman. This is the one right here. And so he begins to tell her about the father's son. I'm here to find a bride for my master's son. And so she goes and she takes him home with her. He goes to the home and there they put the question to her, what do you want to do? And she says, I'll go with him. She makes a decision to go with Eliezer to marry the son of the father. Eliezer sounds like the Holy Spirit to me. And as soon as she makes the decision to do all of that, he opens up his bag of treasure and he gives her gifts. How are you saved? You were saved because the Holy Spirit came and drew you. You didn't understand it. You didn't know what was going on. It wasn't apparent to you, but somewhere the word of God was spoken and you heard about the son of the father and how the son of the father came to forgive your sins and to love you and to care for you. 
And in the midst of all of that, the Holy Spirit is wooing you. And you said, I'm going to make a decision to go and marry the son of the father. And when you made that decision, the spirit opened up his bag of gifts and he gave you gifts. And the first gift he gave you passed on to you was your salvation experience. And then he gave you gifts to be used in the body of Christ. Every one of you in here, if you're saved. That's all of you. You got your job down? Are you serving? Are you working? Well, you've been given gifts by the Spirit to do that. So that's who she is. Now, here's the interesting thing. You come to verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Father, or or to the Lord, on behalf of his wife because she was barren. Uh, And uh, the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, this is an interesting thing. Isaac's mother was barren for 89 years. She could not have a child. And now uh, Isaac goes and he marries a girl who cannot have a child. Now, the interesting thing is this. The Lord led this woman to Eliezer, and he led Eliezer to this woman. And God certainly knew that she was not able to bear a child, that she was barren, So what is God doing here? Has God made a mistake? Is this this a mess up? Did God get this thing wrong? Did he bring a barren woman to Eliezer, and then when she marries Isaac and they can't have children, God had to go to plan B? No, 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 no. She is a picture of the flesh, and the flesh is dead, and it can't produce anything. It can't bear anything. Uh, It cannot in any kind of way. It doesn't have life, and so it can't bear life. But listen, when she comes to the Father, let, let 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 me just give you a verse over here in John chapter 15. Listen to what is said there by the Lord. I am the vine, and you are the branch. He who abides in me, and I in him, then you will bear fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in the midst of all of this, and by the way, one thing I want to say is this. Here is a woman, Rebecca, a wife, who actually hears her husband pray for her. That is powerful in a relationship. That is powerful in a marriage. That is powerful for couples to pray for one another out loud with one another and for you to hear your mate call your name out loud. It does something to you. Let me tell you, one of the things it does is it strengthens the bond between the two of you. So she hears him pray. He goes to the Lord on her behalf And the Lord answers and opens her womb because now she is related to the Lord. She is that branch that is tied into the vine. And she is going to bear children. Well, that's as clear a picture as I can paint. That's what I see. At least that's what I see going on here. Uh, You see this barrenness in Rebecca. You see this deadness of the flesh that is there. You see the spirit here. In these two boys, there's going to be this 
strife. There's going to be this battle, but you've got this barrenness to begin with. And the only way that life is going to come is in giving itself to the Lord. Now, we have that. We do that. Um, even, even in our Christian walk, life, even in our walk with Christ, we get off in the flesh. We're not spending time with God, which is what I'm going to talk about Sunday, what I'm going to preach on Sunday is, um, am I spending time with God daily? We get away from that. Listen, let me tell you, you can't do anything. You're, when you're not walking with the Lord consistently, let me tell you something, you're out of God's will, you get out of God's will, you get into the flesh, that flesh is dead, it can't produce anything. That's why we don't have victory in our lives, that's why we don't have joy in our lives, that's why we don't, we're not able to work through issues in our lives, is because we're always trying to handle things in the flesh. I can't, I can't lead my marriage in the flesh. I, I can lead it into a ditch. Uh, I can't lead my children in the flesh. I can't lead this church in the flesh. I can't. But when I come and I am the branch that's connected to the vine, then we can begin to produce fruit. Now, let me tell you, that is true, not just of me, not just of you. That's true of a church is that when we are walking with the Lord, it's not an absence of, of issue. Like, let me tell you, the opposite of that is true, but I'll get to that in a sermon sometime. The opposite of that is true. When I walk with the Lord, that's when, that's when you're going to have issues. However, in the midst of that, I, I live with the power of Christ in me. I live with the power of the Spirit. You see that? So you've got this struggle that's going on over spiritual birth and spiritual fruit. Okay? Are y'all all right tonight? Y'all are just so quiet. Amen. So let me, good. Thank you, Mr. Bobby. Let me give you the second thing. And the second thing is this. Here's the spiritual struggle. You had the struggle over spiritual birth. Now you're going to have a spiritual struggle of two natures. You get these two children. Now they're conceived. Verse 22. Uh, but the children struggle together within her. Now, the word struggle there means abuse. It means to crush. It means to be oppressed. It's like two armies fighting each other. That's the concept of the word. That's what the writer is trying to convey is that here is Rebecca, and what's going on here is not usual. She knew that she had never been pregnant before, but she knew this isn't normal. This can't be right. I've never heard women talk about this taking place. There's a battle going on inside of me. Well, the battle is this. You don't have just two nations. You don't have just two children, two boys in there. What you've got is you've got two natures that are at war. Let me tell you what you've got inside of you. You've got two natures inside of you at war. There's a battle that goes on inside of us as Christians. Well, watch it what happens. These children struggle together within her, and she said, if it is so, that is, if this is of the Lord, God's given, why am I like this, God? Why is this going on? Why am I having such a tough time? So look at what it does. It drives her to prayer. 
which will lead me to a statement that I've made often, and that is, if something drives you to Jesus in prayer, how bad can it be? Well, it drives her to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord said to her this, two nations are in your womb, two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people will be stronger than the other, and the other shall serve, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting to me. You've got these two natures. That's what Paul was talking about back in Galatians chapter 5. Now, how many times have you been in that situation that Rebecca was in where you've just been struggling and you went to the Lord and said, God, I'm, just, I'm struggling. I am really fighting a battle here. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to solve this. I don't know which way I should go. I'm struggling with sin over here. I'm struggling to be your child and to live in a right kind of way. Have you ever struggled like that? Romans chapter 7, Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Doesn't that make you feel good? Huh? And I'm going to tell you, I don't know about you, but I am so glad the Holy Spirit put that in Romans chapter 7. I am glad to know Paul struggled too. Oh, wretched man that I am, I've got this battle, this war that is raging on the inside of me. Now, you've got two nations that are here. One that is going to be born is going to be the Hebrew nation. The other is going to become the, there you go. Deacons should take you all out for a dinner. You got that right. That's good going to become the Edomites. That's what's going to happen here. Now, let me give you a little rundown on this history. I want you just to watch this. By the way, the Jews, the Israelites, always considered the Edomites to be close to them. Uh, In spite of everything the Edomites did, they always knew and they always understood them and they always saw them to be close And I think that there was always a desire to have a close relationship. But now listen, let me give you, if you got a pencil, you ought to write some of this down. There's a conflict constantly with the Edomites. Uh, Saul and David had to fight the Edomites. When Saul was king, and you remember David fought for him, he was his general, they had to fight the Edomites. Hadad, H-A-D-A-D, who was an Edomite, became an adversary of Solomon. The Edomites assisted the Babylonians when the Babylonians in 586, really it was in 605 and then 597, 597 and then 586, 587, when the Babylonians three times came against uh, Judah and Jerusalem, the last time they defeated them. The Edomites were with the Babylonians every time. They fought with them. Uh, uh, And to take this on into the New Testament, let me tell you, how many of y'all, who went with me to Israel this this year? A couple of y'all, surely more than that. Was it? Yeah. You remember when we went to Petra? We went down to Petra over in Jordan, and you went into what they call the Red Rose City or the Lost City of Petra. Who carved that out? Well, that was, by the way, in the whole area of Edom. And who carved that city out? 
the Nabataeans, who were part of the Edomites. Now, you get to the New Testament, who is the Nabataean, who is essentially an Edomite in the New Testament? He changes his lineage to make himself appealing to the Jews. But the truth is, his mother was an Edomite, a Nabataean princess. His name was Herod the Great. So that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, (laughs) the descendant of Esau was king and called himself the king of the Jews, Herod. And when the actual king of the Jews was born, the greater son of David, the greater son of Esau wanted to kill him. You see how all this fits together? That's why you study your Bible. That's what you do. That's going on. That's the Edomites. That's why you've got real war taking place here. These boys represent two different natures in the believer. Esau was born first. Why? Because he's born only once. Jacob is the second born. Why? He represents the second birth. He comes out, and look at how he looks. We're told, uh, verse 25, the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment. Sounds like an NFL player to me. They named him Red. Esau, he came out red, they named him Red. He's hairy. What's he look like? He just looks like the flesh. He just looks like the world. He just looks like the brute that he was. He's a hunter. He's a warrior. He's a brute. He is all of the flesh. And then you come to verse 26. Afterwards, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So he was called grabber, to grasp, to grab hold. Jacob, Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when he gave birth to them. He comes out holding on to his brother's heel. Now, what's going to happen with this boy is that there's going to come a night. This boy who comes out grabbing on to his brother is going to be grabbed a hold of down by the Jabbok, by the angel of the Lord. And I laid hold of him who has laid hold of me, you see. And there's going to be a change in his life. And it's not just going to be his foot. It's going to be his entire hip and leg. And he will walk away from that experience differently and will walk differently the rest of his life. Well, there's the battle. I don't have a clock with me, so I don't have a clue as to what time it is. Let me, let me, uh, let me just show you, the, let me show you something out of this. Uh, the tragedy in this is in the family part. And I blame, really, Isaac for what happens when you pick it up in verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, 
and a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now, here's the verse. Isaac loved Esau. Now, why did he love Esau? Because, was he, you know, just because he was his son? No, he loved him for a reason. It was a reason why. Esau wasn't easy to love. Esau was harsh. He was hard. He was a problem. He was, he was a problem child. He was trouble when he was in kindergarten, and it just got, went downhill from there. He was always, I imagine that Isaac had trouble with him. I imagine Isaac got aggravated and frustrated with him. But look, he loved him because he had a taste for game. He loved the boy because of what the boy could do for him. You see that? He had an ulterior motive. Isaac was a bit selfish. I'll just tell you my prejudice. I don't have a, I just don't like Isaac a whole lot. Um, and it comes out, I suppose. Um, love Jacob a lot more than I liked his dad. You love Abraham. Isaac, I've just got struggle. That's just my own personal problem there. But I just have trouble with him. He loves this boy, and the only reason he loves this boy is because of what the boy can do for him. Now, you read this, but Rebecca loved Jacob. She just loved him. Not that she didn't love Esau. Certainly she did. She loved Jacob. Jacob was a lot easier to love. He was peaceful. He was easy. He was around the house. He was probably bright. He was probably uh, agreeable. He was a great conversationalist. Uh, She loved him. I am certain that she loved Esau, but she loved him just because of who he was. Now, here's the question in all of this. We love God, but why do we love God? Do we love God because God is God, or do we love God because God gave us a really nice automobile and a good salary, and we are afraid not to love him because that might go away? Yes. Yes. No condition. He loves us unconditionally. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, why do we love him back? Is it because of the gifts that God gives, or do we love him because he's God? Well, there is that spiritual struggle there. And let me show you the final thing, and that is this struggle is going to end in the rejection of the spiritual. He is going to reject the spiritual When Jacob had cooked the stew, Esau came in from the field. He was famished. Get the idea that he didn't have anything with him. Nothing is said. And so Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow. Now the Hebrew there, the word literally is a gulp. Let me gulp of that. Let me me give you this the way it is in the Hebrew. Let me have a gulp of that red, red. Not that red stuff. The NASB has red stuff. What does the King James have? Red stew. Well, the Hebrew says that red, red. This red, red. So they translate it red stuff. They use the word red twice. It's kind of interesting because you're going to read it again in this same word. That's why they called him Edom, which is another word for red. 
They just keep using that word. For some reason, it's there. I'm not sure that I've caught why exactly. Esau can be translated red. Esau said to Jacob, let me have a swallow, a gulp of that red red, for I am famished. I'm, I'm worn out. Therefore, his name was called Red. <laughs> so you've got red at least three, and I think possibly four times in this one verse. Which when you say that, I I don't know. I'm not certain as to exactly why the Holy Spirit is making that over and over and over. But when I look at it and it says, let me have a gulp. I am famished. Verse 32, I'm about to die. You come down in verse 34 and it says, he despised. All of that speaks of of his flesh nature. All of it talks about his personal appetite, um, that that's what drove him. That's, maybe that's what's being said there. This whole thing is just driving him, is his appetite. Um, his appetite, listen, what can you say about America today other than that we are a nation that has an insatiable appetite and our appetites drive us? Our appetite for stuff, our appetite for position, our appetite for power, our appetite, you, you find it even in the church. We are driven by certain things, uh, and it all has to do with our flesh. It all goes back to the whole issue of the flesh. Now, let me, let me just show you an interesting thing now in the Old Testament. Thus far, in these 25 chapters, you've been introduced to three sets of brothers, The first set, Cain and Abel. The second set, Ishmael and Isaac. The third set now, Esau and Jacob. And in all three sets, the firstborn is colossal disappointment spiritually. All three firstborns, Cain rejects God, Ishmael rejects God, Esau is going to reject God. Well, he comes in, he wants something to eat, and here is Jacob waiting on him. Verse 31, Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. He said, he comes in, he says, I'm dying. I'm starving to death. I'm dying. I'm famished. I've got to have some. Give me a gulp of that red stew. And here, Jacob becomes the preamble to a character known well throughout TV land. He becomes the soup Nazi. (laughs) And the soup Nazi says, no soup for you. (laughs) Unless you sell me your birthright. I ought to have your birthright. You don't want it. Now, let me tell you three things about a birthright um, that'll just kind of help you understand when you read that in the Old Testament. What was involved in this thing? Well, number one, from a material point of view, and this is the only part that's material, is property. Property. Uh, Not just land, but all the property. uh, Anywhere from two-thirds to... uh, Nine-tenths would go to the boy with the birthright. 
The second thing for the birthright is this, is the priesthood. The priesthood was wrapped up in the birthright. The birthright that was given to Abraham. Do you remember when the Bible talks about how Abraham, how Levi gave tithes to Melchizedek? Well, Levi wasn't even born then. So how did he do it? Through Abraham. He was still in the loins of Abraham. So you see, Abraham was considered in all of that. (laughs) This whole thing of priesthood was wrapped up there in this in this birthright. And the third thing is the greatest of all, the promise. The promise that was given to Abraham that through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. In other words, it is going to be Abraham through you that Messiah will come. Now those are the three things that are wrapped up in the birthright. Here is Jacob, and Jacob wants that birthright. He wants that, and so he says, I'm not going to give you any stew. I'm not going to give you anything until you promise that to me. Now, here is the chilling part of it right here. Verse 32, Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. There it is. Again, his appetite is driving it. So what then is uh, the use of the birthright to me? If I die of hunger, you know, who cares about the birthright? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, it says, don't be like Esau who sold the birthright for a piece, literally in the Greek it says, for a piece of meat. Now, the, the, the pilgrims bought Manhattan for about $24 worth of trinkets. And everybody says that was the greatest real estate deal in the history of the world. I think it was the second. Because what Esau gave up was the eternal kingdom of God for a bowl of soup. He traded it. Swear to me, so he swore to him and he sold him his birthright. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate now, now, just think about, I've talked about appetite. I've talked about the flesh. Just think about this. He ate, he drank. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is just pointing out. Look at the flesh here. He ate, he drank, he, he rose up, he went his way. Now look, thus Esau despised his birthright. June the 26th, 1977. Does anybody recognize that date? It was his last concert, last time he would ever sing. He was in Indianapolis, Indiana, at the Market Square Arena, and he sang his last song, which was a song that he really liked an awful lot. Elvis Presley sang, I Did It My Way. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. He didn't realize it, but he really was. My friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. 
Just as Esau despised his birthright, a word that means to reject, he rose up and he traveled each and every highway and more, much more than this. Esau did it his way. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.com.